Hello, welcome back. I am your host, Charles Musgrove of the Answers That Count podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please be sure and hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification button so that you'll know when we post additional videos. We've got some great content coming to you today. We have Professor Joe back with us today for some economic updates. Joe, welcome and thank you for joining us again. Well, it's always great to be here, Charles. Thank you very much for having me. We, we want to talk about at least three topics today. One is one of your favorite principles, incentives matter. And we want to we want to relate that to this $15 per hour minimum wage that we've been having a lot of discussion about, especially how it relates to the tipped employee. Incentives matter. So if you took to if you took away that tipped component of how the wait staff is paid, what does that do to their motivation? What does that do to their drive? So kind of relate that. The other thing we want to talk about is the dreaded word of inflation. So we're going to dive into that from the economics professor perspective and what the numbers are showing us now, what you think is going to happen in the near future. And then we're going to look at some other market uh, indications as well as far as numbers, the mark, the stock market, the housing market. So given the amount of time we have left, we'll dive into those even deeper. So thank you for joining us, Professor Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I am actually just down the road from you at 38. It's a little rainy outside, but a rainy day at the beach is still a great day. So very pleased to be here. Good. Rainy day, that means it's a good day to talk economics. So thank you. And let's let's expand on that concept. So we know that the minimum wage in the state of Florida and throughout many states in the United States, the states have voted on mandating an increase up to at least $15 an hour, some more than that. We've seen other states have already implemented this, Washington, California. So they're ahead of where Florida is. So in Florida, we have uh, the tip credit. So our wait staff and employees that are tipped, they can be paid less than the full minimum wage. The tip credit in yes. Florida is 3.02. So they can be paid, they're paid a wage of 3.02 less than the full minimum wage. And that's going to increase up to 1198 in 2026 when the full minimum wage is $15 an hour. So what apply the economic theory of incentives matter to that tipped employee if they get less tips or even if the restaurateur decides to go to a service charge model where they are paid a flat rate per hour? Right. Well, again, you, you hit it right on the head. Incentives matter. And, and that simply means that uh, whether it's going to a restaurant or any aspect of your life, eating, sleeping, anything, when something becomes more expensive or simply harder to do, people will do less of it. And when something becomes less expensive or easier to do, they are likely to do more of it. So this is one area where economists really do get into the prediction business. Normally, we're into simply the explanation business, but this one is, is very easy to predict. When something becomes more difficult or more costly, we know for sure that people people are going to do less of it. So let's first of all, look, look at the labor market, because normally we think about a demand curve being consumers. Well, in the labor market, the demand curve is actually of the businesses. It's their decision-making. Uh, businesses, the employers are the demander of labor services. Right. And then the people, you and me, going to work, we're the employees. We are the supplier of labor services. That's inventory. So now what's going to that yeah that that's basically one of the the as a as a supplier we are offering 
ourselves in addition to all the other resources in order to get the product made, get the service completed, get the job done, whatever it takes. So, uh, so just kind of keep those, those things in mind. It's a typical market with a supply and demand curve. So now we are going to, not through market forces, allow that prices to rise. We are going to artificially, through a legislative act, and in Florida's case, a constitutional amendment, we are going to make that price go up. Even though the market may say, well, I don't really want to go there, we've got external forces that are now going to edge that up, and eventually we're going to get to $15 an hour. So the market is going to react. People in that market are going to react. Now, clearly, if you're an employee, you may say, hey, great, I'd rather work more because it's a higher wage. Well, that's one half of the market. The other half of the market, the businesses are going to say, whoa, that's more expensive. I actually want less of right. that. That's so right. I want fewer workers and, and therefore fewer jobs. So how is the market going to uh, to figure this out? Because it's a voluntary exchange. Nobody's forced to work and nobody's forced to hire. Right. So businesses are going to say, okay, well, if this resource is now more expensive, I'm going to substitute away from that and I'm going to find something that's relatively cheaper. And what's relatively cheaper? Automation. Right. Technology. Yeah, we've already seen this in the restaurant industry, right? I mean, I remember this is a few years ago now, but, uh, you know, it used to be if you went to a fast food restaurant, the worker would have to hold the cup and push the little lever so that it would, the, the Coke would come out and that they would know to, to pull the cup away to stop the flow. Well, one of the early advents was now you just, the worker just puts the cup under there and it, they hit a button that says large and the, the machine is programmed to put a certain amount of Coke in there and then it'll stop. Well, the restaurant industry has now gone beyond that. So now the worker doesn't even have to do that. Now you just get an empty cup right. and you go over the cook machine, you put your own in there. So it's a tremendous labor saving device. Why? Because it's cheaper than the alternative. So if we make workers more expensive, businesses will have an incentive and we know they're going to follow this incentive to find something cheaper. And that cheaper is going to be technology. Right. So for sure, what's going to happen in industries that are heavily impacted by the minimum wage, you are going to see fewer workers and you're going to see more automation. So that's it's, it's a very simple prediction to make in that regard. That makes total sense. And and touch on this. So if if a tipped employee, if they are tipped better money for better service, then their their incentive is to provide better service to get a higher tip. So what happens to that service? Oh, absolutely. Right. So what happens to the motivation of that employee, that tipped employee, if they're now moved to a fixed rate per hour, they don't get paid more if they provide better service, and therefore the customer doesn't get better service either. So incentives matter in that, in that scenario as well. Yes, and that's an easy prediction to make as well. So if uh, we can just role play a scenario here. So I, I'm a server and you're my customer and I know it doesn't matter if I give you great service, average service, or maybe even below ser average service, I'm going to get the same wage. There is nothing more that comes to me in my paycheck, and I care very much about my paycheck, if I ramp up my level of service. Right. So what am I going to do? I'm going to respond to incentives in very predictable ways. If it's more costly for me to give you better service, but yet I'm going to get nothing out of that extra effort that I have to expend, then I'm not going to do it. 
Right. And therefore, you, the customer, are going to get worse service than you would otherwise. Right. You know, I find that interesting. I had a conversation with a restaurateur in in Seattle, Washington. They were an early implementer of this of this increased minimum wage, and they don't even have the tip credit in in Seattle. And they, when the first came out, they implemented a service charge model because they thought that would be a better model for their employees as well as their customers. Well, guess what? After after trying that, their customers complained more so than the employees because the customers felt like they weren't getting as good a service and they weren't able to compensate the employees or those wait the wait staff to provide the better service so it it is uh it, i found that interesting that it was the customer that that made the complaint that really drove their decision to go back to a tip model yeah yeah because therefore you really with a tip model you empower the customer with a little bit of leverage it's not total leverage but clearly the wait staff is going to have uh, the incentive to provide that customer with very good service because that customer is is able to withhold that tip or offer a higher tip than average if they receive the level of service that they they expect. So not only is it in the best interest for the uh, for the worker to have this kind of tip model, it's also in the best interest of the consumer because you give them more leverage than would otherwise be the case. So when I've traveled over to Europe, they don't work on the, the kind of tip model. And this was a little embarrassing the first time we went, you know, we were, we, you know, we were thinking about, you know, tipping somebody and thankfully somebody was with us who had been there before and said, no, 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 that's not the way it works here. And and subsequently I've been back several times and, and their, their wait staff are just on hourly wage. There's no tipping in many European countries. So the level of service there is, as expected, not quite as great, and it's more uniform. So even if you do get good service, it's going to be the same level of service among all the wait staff as opposed to, hey, some of those people are really great right. because they're working hard for that extra tip, and other people are not so great. They maybe don't care as much about the tip. So it's very interesting when you go to other countries who have a very different and, – and I've seen them over in Europe. It's just not the same level of service as you get in the United States. Yeah, I think that is uh, – I've talked to several restaurant owners, and, and they're predicting that. And they've – interestingly enough, they I've, I've talked to some that have actually experimented with that. They've gone to uh, – they've gone from a non-tip model to a tip model. And not only have they seen the pay that the employees get increase, they've seen their sales increase as well. So it's it's really beneficial to the customer, the employee, and the business owner when they go to a, a model that – they can really reward high performance. So it's back to the incentives matter. Yeah. And we've all done this, right? I mean, anybody listening can just take a moment and think about the last time they went to a restaurant and got served and they had just fantastic service. Not only do you tip a little bit higher, but then the next time you go back, you say, hey, is that person still here? Right. And you seek out particular wait staff because you have a little bit of a, a history. You, you've got some uh, a, a little stronger uh, experience. And you say, I want that person again because I was treated so well. And then we've all been in the opposite position where you've had terrible service. And what do you do with terrible service? You either skip the tip or maybe you give them a buck just to uh, not feel too guilty about it. 
uh, and that wait staff gets a very clear signal about, hey, you need to do something different next time. So it's really a system that works for everybody. It works for the business, it works for the employee, the wait staff person, and it works for the customer. And my personal concern is if you take that incentive structure away, we're probably not going to get as much of an enjoyable experience at the restaurant as we're used to. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's shift gears a little bit and and let's talk about something that's probably not very pleasant, but we're seeing that. We're, we're mo- more than likely experiencing that as well. If we've gone to the grocery store recently, if we filled up our, our uh, tank with, with fuel, then, then we've experienced this. So let's talk about inflation. What are, what are we feeling and what are the numbers showing us? Well, the numbers are showing us an, an increase, uh, and and uh, so let me tell you what the numbers are, and then let's try to, to wrap up that conversation with a little bit of good news because okay. we have to keep in mind that one or two months does not necessarily make a trend, but let's look at the most recent number. So the, the, the most recent available data that we have is for the month of March. For those of you who don't know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports the inflation rate once a month, and it comes out in the early part of the month for the previous month. So the most recent data we have is for March 2021, and that showed us just for that one month increase, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is uh, a large list of goods, but it's not every good that's sold in an economy. It's called a bundle, was up 0.6% just for the month. And you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. I've heard the uh, Federal Reserve Bank is targeting 2%. Well, hmm. that's 2% for the whole year. The whole year, that's right. not 2% for one month. So, uh, so then, okay, well, is that high or low? You know, is that a big deal or, or a small deal? Well, let's be, look back to the previous month. The previous month was 0.4% higher in February. So we've gone from 0.4 to 0.6. So obviously we're, we're going up. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the, the good news there is it, just because we went up a couple of months in a row doesn't mean we're going to continue. Because you look at the most recent history, you go back the last five years, and we go up and we come back down. We go up, we come back down. It kind of looks like a heart monitor when you look at the data on a graph. So the, the good news is this isn't necessarily a, a doomsday type of, whoa, inflation is starting to take off. But we're going to have to watch this very carefully. So if we were to project out and think about a, a worst case scenario, we would see another 0.6 or 0.7 in April and maybe a, the same or a little higher. Okay, now we're getting a trend and we should be concerned. But so far, it's just a small concern. We don't want to you know, overreact to this. But the other thing we have to keep in mind is, oh, well, when was the last time we saw 0.6% in any given one month period? And we have to go all the way back to August 2012. Wow. Nine, nine years ago before we saw a one month increase at 0.6%. So we haven't been that high. And when you look at the last 12 months, the inflation rate, according to the CPI, has been 2.6%. Now, that's a small cause for concern because the Fed Reserve, who's in charge of keeping inflation low and steady, has said for decades now, our target annual inflation rate is 2%. Right. Well, for the last 12 months, we're we're above that. We're at 2.6. Now, is that reason for huge concern? No. But is it cause for some concern? Yes, because we're off target. We right. should be at 2 the Fed says two, and we're at 2.6. So little concern starting to grow here. Yeah, I find it interesting that 
the news you hear out of the Fed and Jerome Powell is that it's not a big concern. They're not they're not concerned with inflation, but yet when you look around in your in your everyday spending, you see prices go up. You see wages going up. You see there's a in in the state of Florida, restaurant owners are having a difficult time hiring people and keeping people retained. You you fill up with gas and it's going up. Your grocery bill is going up. So you you see that in in everyday life, and you hear that the Fed saying no, it's not a big deal. Everything's okay. We're not going to take action until probably Q1 22. So um, I don't know. Maybe maybe the Fed really they're okay with this inflation running up for a period of time. Well, and this is uh, a potential trade-off. It's still open to some debate. For back in the 1960s and 70s, we thought very clearly there was a trade-off between uh, uh, more inflation and uh, more GDP, more growth, and that's what we refer to as the Phillips curve. Well, conditions have changed, and we've since uh, had our eyes open a little bit to the Phillips curve. It, It doesn't really apply as much today as it did in the 60s and 70s. Uh, But the general thought is if we expand the money supply, uh, we're going to increase output and therefore lower unemployment. And if we have to put up with a little bit of an uptick in inflation, well, then that's just the trade-off we're willing to live because we'd rather have higher growth in GDP and more employment and, you know, be willing to give up uh, uh, some inflation, which means we'll have a little higher inflation. Now, for the short period of time, that's an okay trade-off. The problem is... Once the inflation train starts to get going, it's really hard to slow it down. It's not like a car where you can just tap on the brakes and inflation uh, curtails very quickly. Right. Uh, as Milton Friedman is famous for saying, the, the, the lags are long and variable. So when we hit the accelerator, we may not see that surge right away. It might be 6, 12, maybe even 18 months. And then also when we tap the brakes, it might be a long time before the effects actually kick in. And and you're right. I mean, for certain goods, uh, we've seen a very large increase. Gas prices are up over 9% over the last 12 months. And you don't need me to tell you that, right? Just drive down the street and you can see, hey, you know what? It wasn't that long ago that gas was... 215, 220. Right. And now when I drive around Tallahassee and now in Panama City, gas prices are 285 to $3. I yeah. mean, I just saw one gas station that was 299. Right. And uh, and in, actually, I think I saw another one that was 305. And I thought, oh my goodness, we're, we're now breaking the $3 barrier. So you're right. For certain products, inflation is much higher than that. But again, the CPI is a very broad measure. It's got thousands of products in there. But even that, we're starting to see tick up 2.6 versus what the Fed wants at 2. Right. Little cause for concern there. What do you see is the um, the first thing that they will do to, to calm that down is they'll start to tick up interest rates? Uh, yes, absolutely. And we're already seeing interest rates go up, right? So um, one of the most important interest rates in the economy is the 10-year Treasury. So that means when the Treasury auctions off a bond and says, give me the money today, I'll pay you back in 10 years, right? So that's what we mean by the 10-year treasury. That means the bond matures 10 years from the date of issue. In January 2020, the 10-year bond was 1.8%. And then in May 2020, as the pandemic really started to take hold and the economy uh, really took a downturn in the second quarter, the 10-year rate dropped to 064 
Hmm. Well, now in, in April, we're back up to 1.6. So we're approaching the pre-pandemic levels. Right. Uh, so just in the last year, uh, we've seen quite a bit of an increase in that rate. And when that rate moves and the federal funds rate moves, that's the one that the Federal Reserve sets, then almost all other interest rates in the economy go up. Uh, for those of you who are uh, either thinking about buying a home or refinancing your home, if you just start that process today, you're going to see a little higher rates on a 30-year mortgage than you did maybe three, four months ago. So we're starting to see interest rates creep back up. And one of the most uh, important relationships that we're confident in in macroeconomics is a relationship between interest rates and spending. When interest rates go up, spending goes down. Right. And that means our GDP will slow. And that's not what we need right now. We need our GDP to, to take off. So my anticipation is at least for the next six months, probably through all of 21, the Fed is going to have a lot of pressure to keep interest rates low because we need to get the economy going. We need to get the unemployment rate down. However, the difficult trade-off is when those interest rates are continuing to be really low, you're going to fan the flames of inflation. So we, we may have to live with a little higher inflation for a while. Right. Do you also see the close relationship if those interest rates stay low that the housing market is going to stay strong like we've seen in the past year? Yes, yes. Housing prices are up um, 11% over the last year. Uh, and normally we think about housing prices appreciating about 3%, maybe 4% on average. You know, if you talk to any real estate broker, they're going to tell you, hey, you know, when you buy this home, you can expect an annual 3% appreciation in price. Well, just in the last um, 12 months, we've seen uh, about 11% increase in home prices around the country. And again, you don't need me to tell you that. Anybody who's out uh, looking for a home right now has has seen the prices go up. Oh, yeah, it's a seller's market for sure. Yeah. So um, one final point to touch on is, you know, we've pumped a lot of money into the economy. The The most recent is the $1.9 trillion uh, COVID plan, where, where there's discussion now of another $2 trillion for uh, in, what they're calling an infrastructure, even though that's the name, maybe not what's the substance of the bill, what does that do to the value of the dollar and how does that play into inflation as well? Well, the value of the dollar is uh, what we call purchasing power or the real value. So the real value is the the current amount and then you factor in the effect of inflation. So the way I like to think about inflation is inflation is a thief who comes into your pocket and steals the value. He doesn't necessarily steal the dollars out of there, but he steals the value. So that if when prices go up and you have the same number of dollars in your pocket, then you can purchase fewer items. Right. So let's just imagine a simple scenario where your paycheck literally got bigger. It was 3% bigger, but inflation was 5%. Okay, well, that means your real rate is actually a negative two. Right. Your 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 the number in your paycheck went up by three percent, but the amount of goods and services that you can buy actually went down by two. So that's the purchasing power. That's the real value. So when inflation is running higher than the raises that people are getting, 
they're actually worse off. They can buy fewer things. Now, the difficult part is raises always lag inflation. So and think about you know running around the track and inflation is always a few steps ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And as consumers and as employees, we're always trying to catch up to it. So we see inflation starting to take off a little bit. And then when you come up for your annual review, you say, you know what, boss, I, you need to get at least catch me up with inflation. And if not, get me ahead of inflation uh, so that I'd like to run in front of inflation, but it's right. very hard to do uh, because we only get raises once a year, basically, right? I mean, some people are evaluated a little bit more than that, but most employees get an annual review and an annual chance to negotiate a higher wage. Well, okay, what you do is you catch up from last year, but the boss is probably not going to push you way ahead of inflation because we don't know what it's going to be. Right. So, the wages are always lagging behind inflation. So the worker is always at the mercy of inflation. And that's why the Fed is charged with keeping that low and steady so that the negative impact on workers is as small as it can be. Right, because if that inflation starts to run hot, then the employee and those that need the money, those are on the lower end of the, of the pay scale, they're going to be hurt the most. Yes. So again, think back to running around the track. So now imagine that you're running your pace and inflation starts to sprint and inflation is really getting ahead of you. Okay. Now you're just falling farther and farther behind. So, and you know, Hey, it's going to be nine, 10 months before I can walk into the boss's office and ask for a raise. Well, that by that point, you're way behind inflation. If inflation has taken off at three or four or 5% and you have to wait that long to get your raise. Well, during those nine or 10 months where you're waiting, your purchasing power goes down. You are literally worse off in terms of a consumer. Right. Good stuff, Joe. Man, this has been a great show. We have talked about incentives matter, something near and dear to your heart and the, the economist that you are. And we've talked about inflation. Inflation can be the silent thief of, your, of the money that's in your pocket. So great information for today's show. Very valuable stuff that we should be paying attention to. So thank you so much for joining us. You've been watching Answers Account. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Thank you for joining us. Hit the subscribe button. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.